I got to share this story with you. My wife and I came back from sabbatical a couple of weeks ago, and we got to do some things we never would have been able to do. Uh, the Lilly Foundation provided this grant for us to do this. And one of the things we put into the grant application was that our family would get to go to Disney World. How cool is that? And so we, we got to go to Disney World. And I got to tell you, my two older kids just loved it, and it was amazing. And my youngest son... And I know I told a story about him last week. He's two years old. I promise you he's actually a very sweet child. Because at Disney World, that was not our experience. I don't know why, but like what we thought was going to be the greatest day of his life turned into one of the worst days. He saw Mickey, and rather than running up to hug him, he didn't want to go. And so when we tried to get him over to go to Mickey, uh, he began to get on all fours and crawl away from Mickey Mouse. And Mickey is on the floor crawling after our son, <laughs> trying to get him. By the end of that first day, he had learned a trick. I don't know why he didn't want to be there. And he did not want to be in the stroller. That was for sure for any parents out there. And he's two years old and he wanted to get out of the stroller. And he learned that if he screams at the top of his lungs, the people in the park take notice. And then it got worse. He learned that in the little umbrella stroller, you know, those like little lightweight things. I know some of you like uh, kids, I don't get it yet. But like, I promise you, I didn't get it either. But the lightweight strollers are way easier, man. So I thought I'm going to be whipping him around on that thing. Well, he learned he could reach, he could touch the ground. And so he would dug, dig his heels into the ground. And I had the choice of either maiming my son or stopping the vehicle. And uh, we would stop. And so he thought he had won one over on dad, but uh, dad's out there. We know better, right? Like we can't let them win. So I decided, uh, this is true. I'm going around Disney World and I'm leaning him back on two wheels. <laughs> and I'm zooming all over the place. Well, he wasn't about to let me in there. He upped the ante just a little bit more. And he begins to learn if he screams at the top of his lungs, like blood-curdling scream, like the type of scream you know something is physically wrong with the child. And he follows that up with, help me! Help me! That everyone is going to think that they're, the dad is physically harming the kid. I never took him back, and I'm never taking him back ever again. And I was kind of reflected on that. Actually, somebody reminded me of that story this weekend. And I was reminded of, man, I don't know about you, what we're going to talk about this morning on week two of the Underground uh, Jesus Teaching Series is what it looks like to begin to grow up and take next steps of faith. What does it look like to be discipled in your life? And we'll talk about disciple is the word methodist in the New Testament means learner, to learn the ways of your rabbi. Like if you are to do that, Sometimes it requires things from us that we don't really want to do. And I was reflecting on this and thinking as a dad, the things I've learned about trying to discipline a kid who doesn't want to be disciplined. And the reality is, I love my son more than anything in the world. And I want him to learn how to become a good man. And it takes like really hard things to do that sometimes. And I fail sometimes. Don't we fail sometimes, parents? And I began to reflect, like, my son doesn't like it when I try and discipline him. How many of us don't like it when our Heavenly Father tries to discipline us a little bit? Like, even that word discipline, doesn't it creep you out just a little bit? 
And so we, we receive faith. Last week, we had 34 people who make decisions to follow Jesus, some for the fir- very first time. I'm probably going to be baptizing Cassie right at the end of this service. How exciting is that? Um, and we're going to be baptizing more of those actually on the, the birthday bash, the 23rd and 24th. But I realized that in American Christianity, we often uh, may pray a prayer or receive Christ. And you may even be born again like uh, John 3 talks about, meaning that you know Jesus in your life. You have redemption. You may even be going to heaven when you die. But we stay at kind of this toddler age of the faith where God comes in and he tries to correct things out of love and we don't receive it. This happened for me early on. I I knew about Jesus. I even prayed a prayer and then I began to realize I like going out on the weekends and having some fun, (laughs) right? Like this is a pretty common thing. Maybe it's drinks or, or drugs, or maybe it's just the party scene in general. And you realize, you read the, the Bible, and you realize that has some conflict to what God's purposes are for your life. It actually brings some junk into your life that God doesn't want there. And you go, oh, wait a second. I thought this was just about me going to heaven. <laughs> I didn't want you to change anything in my life. I was good the way I was. You been there? Maybe it's not the, the party scene for you. Maybe it's to begin to live your life with integrity, including the area of your finances, that sometimes you choose to make less money, believe it or not, uh, in order to have a, be a person of integrity. I was watching this week uh, on Netflix the uh, story about the founder, founder, I put in parentheses, of uh, McDonald's. Have you guys seen that yet? Um, and amazed at what capitalism does to human beings. And the lack of integrity sometimes that we will have in order to gain that next step. Maybe that's your thing. Maybe it's your financial portfolio that has become the idol in your life. Maybe it's uh, moving from dating relationship to dating relationship and not allowing God to invade that space because you're trying to escape some of the problems going on in your life. We've been there, okay? And this is not a a place of condemnation. It's It's a hospital for sinners, we say, not a museum for saints. And so... We desire that you would find healing, and we're not coming here to judge you. But wherever you're at in that spiritual spectrum, none of us really like to take those next steps of faith because it requires some change in our life. You see, what I want to show you this morning uh, is that God's plan for the redemption of humanity, he had been waiting for thousands of years to change the world. At Christmas time, we celebrate that. We, we sing the song, Emmanuel, which means God with us, that he cared enough about his creation. He became one with it. He entered into it. He went through suffering and pain and gave his life on the cross, rose from the grave so that you and I could know God and live with him eternally. He understands pain and suffering. And he did that because he cared about us. But his plan to change the course of human history after waiting for thousands of years for that particular moment in time to enter into his creation wasn't to draw a crowd of people to him. If you're new to this teaching series, we explained last weekend our, uh, what it looks like our motto of ministry, to live boldly and love deeply. This week we're talking about our model of ministry. I'm going to share what that is. Next week will be our mission. The following week will be our movement. So if you're brand new here, it's a perfect series to come in. You're going to hear who we are as a church. But as I was reflecting on that, for many of us as Christians, we, we think that the goal is just to get people to attend a worship gathering. It's incredible. We've got so many of you watching online. We've got almost every seat filled at this service. And that's an exciting thing. I believe in worshiping together and coming together once a week. Uh, scripture teaches that. But God's plan to change the course of human history wasn't to start a worship service. Jesus never started a worship service. You ever notice that? 
He wasn't, we were way better at lights and haze machines than Jesus was. Like, we were way better at that. However, what he did choose to change the course of human history, the underground aspect of the church, the above ground, what we do on the weekends that we all see, but the below ground aspect was to invest in 12 individuals. His plan to change the course of human history was to take 12 uneducated guys who may not have been able to read well or even write well. That's why John's the only one that wrote down uh, the gospels here in Matthew. So we, we don't know that these guys were really qualified in any way for them to be the ones to follow Jesus. And yet that's who he chose and believed that they would generally change the world. Why? Because he knew he could draw thousands, even hundreds of thousands. When we get to Luke chapter 6 that we're going to read, the crowd has come. It's time to start the public ministry, baby. Start the book teaching series, right? Like you need to get out there on the speaking circuit and make this thing happen. Maybe he could preach to 100,000 people or even a million people. But he chose instead to run away from the crowd and invest in these 12 individuals because they would go invest in other people and they would go invest in other people. And the exponential effect of that was that over 2 billion people today would believe in Jesus Christ or claim faith in Christianity at least. That couldn't have been done if all he did was draw a crowd in the first century. Our primary goal as followers of Jesus is to be disciples who make disciples that make disciples. And here is where Jesus calls the very first 12 to him. Look at Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 12. Beginning in verse 12. You guys ready to study God's word this morning? I can sense it. All right, here we go. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, we know that. His brother, Andrew, known as the Sons of Thunder, my personal favorite. James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, gotta love that one. Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas of, of James, and Judas Iscariot who became a traitor. He calls these 12 individuals knowing that one is going to rebel against him. It's kind of a picture, I believe, that wherever you're at this morning, God does not want to give up on you. And even if you have turned his back or your back on him, the beautiful thing is that today, because of the redemption of Jesus, you can actually be changed and come to know him and have your life eternally shaped and changed. He is not done with you no matter what you have been through. What happens next in Luke chapter 6 gets a little strange. I want to challenge you this morning that sometimes, as a disciple, when you stretch your faith, you're going to do some things that make you uncomfortable. Look what Jesus did with the youth group in uh, Luke 6, verse 17. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, which is kind of like the province um, from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Can you picture it? People are flocking from all around the region to come out and hear him and be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. This morning, would you be willing to take a next step of faith to not just be spiritual toddlers as Christians in American church culture today, but to become the man or the woman that God created you to be. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, as we talk about our model this week, 
of the type of disciples that we want to make. If there is an area in these three things we're going to discuss that we're not doing well in, we pray that you would bring conviction and encouragement to change that. God, we acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit right now. For those watching online in different parts of the country, as we're, we're encountering you in our homes this morning as well, God, we acknowledge your presence there. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you speak to us through these verses in Scripture. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen. Amen. I was thinking about this uh, this week and how we get this so wrong. And we think the primary goal of a church is to draw a crowd. And if we can draw the crowd, then we have a successful church. And while God has totally blessed Mercy Road and a number of churches around here, that's not the end goal. And no pastor would tell you so. In fact, the primary goal of any Christian should be to do what? Look at Matthew 28, verses 18 and 19 with me. As Christians, if you're new to the Bible, we call this the Great Commission, what we are called to do as followers of Jesus. He's about to ascend to the right hand of the Father and leave the disciples, these now 11 guys who didn't have a clue what they were doing three years earlier, who Jesus had, Jesus had invested in for three years. He's about to leave them. And the words he, he says is this. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me Therefore, what? Go. It's emphatic in there. It means like go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Anyone who considers himself a follower of Jesus, a disciple. In fact, we didn't use the word Christian until Acts chapter 9. Until that, we just called them uh, people of the way of Jesus the people who had learned the way of Jesus, that you couldn't be a disciple of Jesus and not allow him to be able to begin to change your life. That the end goal in verse 19 there, that your goal as a Christian is to make disciples. That's where Jesus spent his time, was not so much just in the public ministry, but the underground aspect of investing in what I'll show you in a couple of weeks, we call creating the fertile soil of discipleship that grows everything God is wanting us to do. Without that peace, we have a dead church and we have dead churches in American culture today. We must do that well. I don't know about you, but I feel like some of us as pastors and leaders, we're gonna get to heaven and God's gonna look at us and Jesus is gonna tell us, hey, I gave you one job. <laughs> one job. And you didn't do it. One job, man, you had one job to make disciples, and we didn't do it. Uh, let me, I, we could do this at any church across the country this morning, and I think we would see similar results. How many of you in here have been in, intentionally discipled by someone year in a one-year one committed relationship where you meet weekly? How, raise it high if you have been intentionally discipled. Okay, thank you. Dave, you have. Raise that hand. Uh, uh, anybody else out there that have, you have intentionally discipled anybody in a one-year relationship uh, investing in them. Raise those. Okay. Thank you for doing that. I know some of you hate the, the hand raising thing, especially you, Dave. I got you to raise the hand. But the reason I share that, you saw it here. We're changing that. We're, we're seeing people intentionally discipled in one year discipling relationships we call discipleship huddles. It, it takes a lot of hard work. But most of us in our culture, we've been Christians our whole lives, attending churches around the country. And we've never done the one thing Jesus asked us to do. Didn't that break your heart a little bit? That's why this is so important for us. 
It's why our model of ministry reflects what we believe Jesus demonstrated. See, doing discipleship is hard work that requires pain and change. It requires pain and change. That's why most of us don't do it. It means you got to take your past and your baggage and your junk, and you got to be open about it and actually ask God to change that in your life. Little interesting side note, we really don't like this. We don't even like this in American churches. And I'm not critiquing, there are lots of great churches. Mercy Road's not a good fit for you. There are fantastic churches around here. Check them out. But why we emphasize the underground aspect of what we do in actually intentional discipling relationships is because in American culture, we usually say that happens in small groups. Unfortunately, for me at least, small groups are usually social connection points. If I'm completely honest with you, why churches, why we do this? We do it because, yes, we want you to be a disciple, but the way that we operate those are usually to make you make a social connection so you stick around the church, right? Like, that's usually why we do that, because we want you to stick around the church. Yet, when we read the story of Jesus in the New Testament, he didn't really care if you stuck around. His whole point was to send you out. He wanted to disciple people who get sent out to go disciple other people who go disciple other people in that exponential growth that we talked about. That was his vision. So our discipleship huddles aren't small groups. They're not just like a social relational connection where we study the Bible. It's a discipling relationship where one person says, I would like to disciple you. And it says that to a number of people. And then those people choose whether they want to be discipled by that person. I said, Methodist meant learner. You are learning the ways of Jesus from this person. It's real hard. It's difficult. It's painful. It requires change. It requires allowing somebody to speak into your life. And a lot of, I don't like that. You like that? I don't like it. But that's the way of Jesus in the New Testament. Jesus' model of ministry was simple. Create disciples that understood how to worship God, invest in a few of them, and then send them out into the world to make an impact. This underground aspect of what he did had nothing to do with the public gatherings. He didn't have to put on a worship service to have that occur. It's something that no matter what government was in effect, it could never be taken away. It's why the church in China grew exponentially when it was sometimes illegal to practice their faith. It's very important that we get this right. Now, here's the thing. We don't do this stuff because it's hard and it requires change and sometimes it's painful Learning to grow up in anything is hard sometimes. How many, I've kind of got the parent theme going on right now. I guess that's just a season of life I'm in. How many of you have ever taught a kid how to ride a bike? Is that not like one of the hardest things in the world? I mean, I know I'm apparently not very good at this, but like we, at my son, who's now eight and a half years old, when he was eight years old, can I confess to you? He's an awesome kid and this wasn't his fault. I'll explain it. Uh, when he was eight years old, he didn't know how to ride a bike. I know, that's pretty bad. And the reason was, when he was three and a half years old, <laughs> we got him the little uh, Tomator bike. I told you, that's the season of life I'm in. You, you know what I'm talking about? Like from cars, and it looks like Tomator, and he had the Tomator helmet and the whole deal. Had the little training wheels on it. He loved that thing. And we, we would literally let him ride around on the inside of our house, because his birthday is in the wintertime. And he would ride it, and he could not wait to go outside. Spring hits, he takes the thing outside. He goes down the sidewalk in the neighborhood, and his mom and I are with him, and we're having a blast. First ride out, he gets a little confident. He sees this curb. He's like, I'm going to jump that curb. Me and Tomate are making it happen. He goes, you parents, you know what's about to happen. He hits the curb. He goes flying over the handlebars, lands on the ground, and starts, you know, just bawling. 
What I'm about to share may make it sound like my wife is not a good mother. She's actually an excellent mother, and I'm going to brag on her in just a little bit, but she'll tell you this truth. This is true. Anybody out there, you are nervous laughers? <laughs> like you see an accident and you just can't help yourself and your friends get mad at you. She starts laughing. I know. I don't know if she knows Jesus or not. Like she starts, <laughs> she starts laughing. And then you know how sometimes you're laughing and you know it's inappropriate? And so then you start laughing harder and you can't stop and the giggling starts. My son was so mad and embarrassed, he didn't ride a bike again for four years. Four years. I find that some of us, uh, we want to take next steps of faith. We want to grow and be discipled and grow up and, and become the person God created us to be. But we've also been hurt through the process. And some of you, you've tried to minister to people before, and it didn't really work out the way you want. You went over and you, you talked to a friend about your faith. You invited somebody into a group you were leading, and it didn't go so well. Some of you, you've tried to allow people to speak into your life before, and, and then they really harmed you and said some things that actually hurt more than it helped. And you begin to question all kinds of stuff. I, I know that. See, the problem is we live in a fallen world, and discipleship is hard, and it's painful, and we don't like it. My son, however, eventually did get back on the bike. And now he rides all over our neighborhood. He doesn't train wheels and that kind of stuff. He rides all over the neighborhood. In fact, he wrecked it really bad this last week. He was bleeding down the knees everywhere. And he was, came in, he was really upset. But like an hour later, he was back out on the bike. And we all know that's how you learn to ride a bike. But when it comes to growing up in our faith, we often don't want to take some of the painful, hard, difficult decisions to become the man or woman God created us to be. So in the last part here, I'm going to share the three areas that we want to produce disciples in. Disciples that have a balanced approach to their faith. A spiritually healthy disciple will find balance in these three areas of our faith. It's our model of ministry, our model of discipleship. We call it following Jesus up, in, and out. And we use some materials from 3DM for that. You see, if you look at our logo, originally the triangle was all that we had. It represented uh, the Trinity and also kind of looked like the flux capacitor in the middle there. I don't know if you can see that. but And we came to represent our discipleship process of following Jesus up, in, and out. And then we realized we needed a platform to connect people to those three areas. The three areas that we want to do really well the up, our worship service, the in, our discipleship huddles, and the out, our outposts, our communities on mission. And we want to do those three things really well. We choose not to do a lot of programs you may find at other great churches because we think if we're not doing the one thing Jesus asked us to do, then we are failing people. That's how important it is. And, and so we do worship services, discipleship huddles, and outposts. That's what we want to do really well, and we get a little bit better each year. And we improve just a little bit more each year. But it's because it represents the three areas that Jesus challenged the disciples to be healthy in. In our up vertical relationship with our Heavenly Father, the in human relationship with other people where we go deep and, and get to understand not only God's word, but how to hear from him in our life, how to follow him, learn the ways of Jesus from someone else. And then the out, our communities that are out in the community our communities on mission are living out in their local community to make an impact. We take it extremely seriously. The first one, following Jesus up, you look at verse 12 in Luke 6. It says, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. The first thing he does before he's about to change the course of human history by inviting these 12 guys into his group 
is he takes the night in verse 12 and he just prays. Prays alone on the mountainside. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Maybe that's you in your sphere of influence that you need to begin to get away and you've got some tough decisions. You just need to connect with God. Whether it's reading your Bible or fasting or praying or worshiping on your own, when was the last time you got away the way Jesus did in verse 12 and just spent time with him? I want to talk, man, if you're, if you're a teenager in here or in your early 20s, man, that was some of the most transformative times of my life. Do not be afraid to get alone when nobody else in your life is and just connect with God. It changed my life when I did that. At 23, my life just started, I grew a lot in my faith as I just began to spend more and more time with God. When I was on sabbatical for three months, I told you to brag on my wife. She came to me. She said, hey, we got three months. This is amazing. But um, I want to, about six weeks in, she said, I want to give you five days where I'm just going to watch the kids all on my own, and you're just going to spend time with God. Okay. (laughs) And I mean, parents out there, you know, three kids on the road. It was hard for her to do that. But it was during that time where I was going through a lot of the Bible in the 90-day Bible reading program we were doing spent listening to audio, uh, just exercising and connecting with God. And man, it was the most relieving time. And I really believe over the last couple of weeks, some of the neat things that we have seen happen is, was because God began to transform some things during that season of life in me. And I began to realize that so many people that I see and talk to every single day, we come to church and we do small talk, but we got real stuff going on in our lives. That up vertical relationship with God is so important. It's been transformative for me to spend time with him. But maybe the following Jesus in is a hard part of growing up in the faith that you struggle with. In verses 13 to 16, uh, Jesus actually will choose these 12 individuals and pour into them. He separated 72 initially that he's going to send out in Luke 10, two by two. And then in that 72, he chose 12. And then in that 12, he chose three, Peter, James, and John, that he really invested in his time in. Who in your life should you be investing your time in? Who in your life can you receive their challenge to hear from that you would want to be discipled by? We have a particular discipleship process we use of our discipleship huddles that it's the only thing in our church you can't sign up for. It's not a program. Um, If you haven't been asked into one yet, don't be offended by that. First of all, Jesus didn't choose the qualified or intelligent people, so it probably means you're too smart. But secondly, it's also just the way that Jesus did it, and it will happen over time, and we're trying to get more and more people. And I know a lot of new discipleship huddles starting this season, and some of you who have been through discipleship huddles that haven't gone on to start your own huddle, I want to challenge you to do so. It is the one thing Jesus told you that was the most important thing in your life as a Christian to disciple other people. And if you have gone through it, share it with other people. That's what's going to spread it. Value, maybe it's the in relationship. You have struggled with sharing what's really going on in your life. If I can be honest, that's me, man. I I can talk about stuff all day long, but getting to like the deep stuff, it's hard for me. I don't like it. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's the area you need to grow in. The third and final area is that we are following Jesus out. I read verses 17 to 19 that Jesus thought the way that he should teach these guys was to take the youth group and not just sit around in a class. And he said, hey, come and follow me. And he takes them out and he begins to heal people and stretch these uh, 12 guys' faith. Can you picture that? And you may be sitting there and when it says in verses 17 to 19 that he was healing people and casting out demons, you go, oh, whoa, 
not ready for that. <laughs> I'll just start with like going to heaven. Um, I want to I encourage you, first, as a church, we really believe in the supernatural God that we read about in the New Testament. We believe God's still living and active. In fact, when we take communion, we will anoint people with oil in our prayer room and pray for physical healing according to the book of James that teaches us to do that. It's not weird. We, it's only weird when weird Christians make it weird. It's not weird. Like, that's what the early Christians did all the time. We believe that, and, and that may be a challenge to you and your faith. But even if you're not at that point yet, Maybe you can see that what Jesus did here, when he went to the community, he didn't need a bullhorn. He didn't have to get people surrounded. They just flocked out because they couldn't deny what God was on this individual. And for us as Christians, those early disciples got to learn the ways of Jesus that they began afterwards when Jesus in Matthew 28 and in Acts chapter 1 ascends to the right hand of the Father, they now take on that mantle to take the good news to the world. And they do that with other people, and they see God do miraculous things. Everything cool that has ever happened to this church, we didn't plan. I guarantee you, we've done some things that we planned really well, and they went horrible. We did. The first year we were in the school, we planned this big concert. We got this guy that's been on the radio and all kinds of stuff to come out. He was an awesome Christian man. We'd like, this is going to be great. 50 people showed up. Nobody gave their life to Christ. It's like, that was terrible. <laughs> then all kinds of stuff that we didn't plan to have happen like we ended up in the home place community on College Avenue because it was the building that we could find. And we found this community there that we could just love people. And many of you here are from that community and you've seen the life change that's happened over the couple of years. We didn't plan any of that. Like God just does those things. But if we can relinquish control enough to be sent out by him to do his will and not our own, the word apostle, it literally means sent ones, that they were sent out to make an impact. And so I'll ask you these couple of questions. Which area of following Jesus up, in, and out are you doing well in? And which area could you improve in? I know probably I could improve a little bit in all of them. I know the in one is the, the one I'm always working on. And I've, I've come a long way, believe it or not. But it was hard, and it's still hard. Maybe some of you, like my eight-year-old son, who was once four, <laughs> You've wrecked a little bit and you felt the pain of trying to follow Jesus and take next steps of faith and you didn't want to change some things and, it was, and so you just said, I'm not going to do it. I want to invite you, get back up today. Get back up today. Get back on the bike. Say, Lord, I want to become the man or I want to become the woman you created me to be. Let me tell you about one person in Southern California as I close out here that I saw do that. His name was Cody and he first came to us as a young man who had a... a kind of a difficult thing in his upbringing. Some things happened. He had this pain. And rather than running to God, to his heavenly father, to accept some, some good life change, he avoided that and ran away like so many of us do, man. I know there's somebody in this room right now. You have been running. The Bible is full of stories who have been running from God's best in their life. And he avoids what God wants to do in his life and instead, he moved to Southern California, and as a young man, these neo-Nazi men, and I share this in light of the couple things I've said about racism and what happened to Charlottesville a couple of weeks ago, and that as Christians, we should stand against racism and oppression, and those are our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we should care about that's family. Well, this young man came to us. He had, a, he had a Nazi swastika tattooed on his arm, and he was embarrassed about it, but he had joined this neo-Nazi gang because these guys were the only people that gave him the time of day and kind of invested in his life. And all that hate 
just came out. And he began to encounter Christ. He began to encounter a new family, the Christian church, and he saw the love of Christ there, and he began to realize, like, this didn't fit with what was going on inside of him. And he went through literally the painful thing of having that swastika removed from his arm because he no longer wanted to be known for hate. Instead, he wanted to be known for the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. I've literally gone to prisons and I've, I've seen a neo-Nazi gang leader standing next to an African-American gang leader and both of them are bawling and, and hug each other because they have received Christ and they want other people to know the love of Jesus. The reconciliation that comes with Christ, it's real. The love, the family we described last week, it's real. But it only happens if we model for people the true meaning of discipling one another, teaching them their ways, not just throwing a class at them, not just expecting them to figure it out, but investing in people for years and saying, this is the primary thing we are meant to do as Christians. I believe that's what's life-changing. You may not have to go through the pain of having a tattoo like that removed from your body. You may not have joined a neo-Nazi gang, but I guarantee you got baggage from your past. And you've got stuff that's preventing you from taking that next step of faith, preventing you from being baptized, preventing you from joining Rooted, our discipleship uh, class that's coming up. Maybe you've had a time where you have something that's preventing you from having a healthy relationship or marriage or, or a healthy family life. And you don't want to take the next step because you know it's going to be hard. I want to tell you it's possible. Redemption is real. It's why Jesus did what he did. Follow him up in and out. And I can't wait to see what God does with your life. Will you pray with me? God, there are people in the room right now, sleeping giants of the faith, waiting to be awakened to the, not just the reality of you, but to become the man or the woman you created them to be. To call you our father and to be, accept your good discipline in our lives. Maybe that's you right now, and you say, I want to become the woman God created me to be. If that's you in the room, I want to invite you to pray this silently as I pray it out loud. God, I confess that I've been running. I want to become the woman that you created. Well, ladies, I want to become the woman that you created me to be. I surrender this to you. I accept the discipline in my life. I'm willing to go through the struggle to become the woman you want me to be. For the fellas in the room right now, maybe this is you, you want to say, I want to become the man you created me. Pray this with me. God, I don't want to sit idly by anymore. I want to stand up and be the man that you want me to be. I'm not going to be ashamed or afraid of that. I'm willing to go through whatever it takes to become that. And so right now in this moment, I surrender everything in my life to you. I want to learn your ways, Jesus. God, you see what's truly going on in this room right now. You know the minds of people. God, we thank you as we respond to you. May you use us, Lord. May we become the men and women you created us to be. May we worship you as Father. May we receive your discipline. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen.